podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Thanks for choosing this free Anfield Index podcast. If you'd prefer to listen to this or any of our other shows without adverts, then now's the time to check out Anfield Index Pro. With AI Pro, you can supercharge your entire listening experience. You'll not only get all of our podcasts without the ads, but you'll have them far faster with our quick publish feature available exclusively for subscribers. AI Pro also puts you in the heart of our sound studio with an option to listen to many of our shows live and interact with the podcasters in real time as the shows are recording. Upgrading couldn't be easier. AI Pro is available on all popular podcast platforms and we have our own apps for Apple and Android. Just head on over to AnfieldIndexPro.com and get started today. Hello everyone, Rival Recon here on Anfield Index Pro. The Reds' ruthless machine continues to roll on as we enter the final seven games of the season, with Klopp's side still with a chance of winning an unprecedented quadruple. After a tough-fought draw against City in the league, followed up by a big win against them in the FA Cup semi-final on the weekend, on today's pod, our attention shifts towards Tuesday's game against a ragged-looking Manchester United side, who seem to be wishing the season to come to an early end. Joining me on the pod to give us his insight into what's been an acrimonious season for the Red Devils, we welcome back Richard Can from the Red Voices podcast. Welcome back, Rich. Hi, how are you doing? Not bad. We were just having a, a bit of chat before the pod there around sort of yeah, bank holiday weekend plans and things like that. But um, uh, in, in terms of the, the number of things that we got to talk about on today's pod, I, uh, considering the last time we spoke ahead of sort of the, uh, the, the, the away version of this fixture and then what, what transpired in that game, um, let alone, let alone sort of the, the season as a whole. I feel like there's plenty to talk about. There was, there was plenty before that game as well. But um, yeah, I mean, if I suppose that's 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 probably an unpleasant and good place to start in terms of sort of that the the game. I remember you weren't looking forward to it. Basically, um, based on what you'd seen so far from United, I, I think I think the Leicester defeat was sort of reasonably fresh in the mind, even despite that win over over. At, Atalanta. Um, I suppose just, just 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 getting your thoughts on on how that game went, um, not just the result, but just all sort of the nature of the performance, um, and then we'll eventually get to Solskjaer. But just sort of your your thoughts on the aftermath of that, because it, it felt like it was a seismic result, but then um, there wasn't necessarily any sort of immediate action um, uh, yeah. following it. Yeah, I mean, I think the the performance and the result wasn't a surprise at all. Um, United have been absolutely dreadful all, um, you know, considerably more dreadful than they've been um, at any point in the last whatever it is seven or eight years since um, since Fergie retired. Hmm. Um, the defending was appalling. There was no there was no obvious structure to the team. Um, I think I think the the, the principal issue that that Solskjaer had at the start of the season, at least, is that he'd the, his first two seasons he built this side which was essentially based on counter-attacking, um, and so he had become reasonably proficient to that. And he had his kind of forward players, the players that, that need to um, need to be firing for that to happen. Kind of Rashford and, and, and Fernandez, and to a degree Pogba and one or two others actually in in good form and so united were able to to get away with it um in that second place finish but then if you buy um if you spend 80 million on jaden sancho and you bring in rafael varan um and then ultimately cristiano ronaldo 
you, you it's not going to be acceptable that you're playing relatively conservative counter-attacking football. Yeah. Um, and Ronaldo in particular is just is isn't appropriate for that and I think I think Solskjaer realized there was this imperative to to be more expansive but unfortunately I think what that what that did was expose the the significantly weak areas in the in the team um and and the Ronaldo signing in particular was was and remains a really big problem as well um and he just I think he just exposed the sort of mishmash of of players that United have signed over the last few years and and how they don't really fit together in any any kind of functioning system and, and the players that were bought for one system can't play another. So, you know, Solskjaer paid 80 million for Harry Maguire, who was reasonably um is reasonably adept at playing in as a defender in a in a kind of counter-attacking system because he doesn't need his pace, you know, you sit reasonably deep. And you're defending the penalty area, whereas as soon as you try and um, play more expansively and, and you, your defence needs to push up the pitch, that's exactly the areas where he gets exposed. Um, mm. And I think it also exposed the the relatively poor quality of the fullbacks um, and and just the the midfield in particular. I mean, United went into the season with essentially one holding midfielder, and he's 34 and um, and his legs have been falling off for about three years. Um, so I think it, it, just all those things came together to completely expose the sort of ridiculous um, makeup of, of the United squad and, and, and the way that it's not really fit for anything. And, and I think that's been that's been exposed even further with Rangnick coming in, you know, bringing the coach with a very definite style of how um, his team should play. And he just doesn't have the personnel to to carry it out. Um, and I think as well, I mean, I'm sure you can, there was something, something similar that sort of happened with Liverpool in the, in the kind of lean years in that they've been such a great team and such a great club that there's always an enormous pressure there to, to get back to the top. Of course. Um, and when that doesn't happen or if things turn, it's, it's very difficult to turn that ship around and, and confidence and pressure grows kind of exponentially. Which I think you kind of saw to a degree in 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 Rogers' third season, I would have said. Um, yeah. You know, you'd come so close that 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 season, um, but then when things didn't start going quite as well the following season, you know, confidence can drop so quickly. And I, I think Liverpool were coming up at Old Trafford, coming up against a team that had just completely gone mentally. Um, it was it was a tactical mess. Um, and you had the, the the other the other issue, which I don't think we, many of us really um, recognised at the time, which was that Solskjaer had maintained a huge squad, or built a huge squad, and had held on to players and promised them minutes, and then over the previous eighteen months just didn't play them, um, regardless of how poor the guys were in front. So you you had a situation where probably two thirds of the squad were fuming and wanted to leave. And, yeah, uh, who are you referring to there? Just... That still remains the case now. And I think once that, once you lose the dressing room, once the confidence is drained out of a team, once the pressure's ramped up, then you get a performance like United put in at home to Liverpool, where you could see you were just play. You were a team at the very top of its game, playing against the team that was completely and utterly lost. 
Yeah, and I, I think I think the thing for me watching that game, and it's, it was an interesting one to watch because it's 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 always one, especially as as I've been growing up as well, and as long as I've been following Liverpool, it was, it was one that I didn't necessarily look forward to many difficult afternoons away at Old Trafford, um, irrespective of how Liverpool were playing, how their form was, we'd be going into it playing really really well. All of a sudden, we, we even under Klopp as well, it, it appeared to be one of these fixtures where on occasion. You know, is often um, uh, criticised for overthinking, and if you were ever going to level that at Klopp, this mm. this this seemed to be the game where, on occasion, along with the Merseyside derby, sometimes actually early on, where it seemed to be overthinking the occasion a little bit, um, and then we would the the plan that had worked so well before and after that game uh, just seemed to be abandoned on the day. So that was kind of an interesting thing. Yeah. But uh, for me, watching it, I mean, there are obviously sort of a number of really strong individual performances on the Liverpool side. I think Naby Keita in particular was 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 really good that day as well. Um, despite Mo being sort of as sharp as he was at that stage of the season, but I think the, the most the most um, obvious thing to me was what you were alluding to there. Basically, the one club and the coherence of the planning that's gone on gone on at, at that club, and then another club where you could talk about the off pitch stuff. I'm sure for a long time as well but on the pitch as well uh like you were saying there didn't appear to be a a plan that that, that there was much confidence in I'd say in terms of, sort of the approach they were taking I, I remember the early moments of that game when, when Man United uh, attempted to press Liverpool um but of course trying to do that when you know, it's it's still not necessarily a a tactic that you're You've got the players to, to to implement properly, um, nor you're, you're super comfortable with as well. So, what, so when a team plays round you, that can be incredibly unsettling. And, and we saw what happened with the defense as well, like you were mentioning, um, when when they weren't deeper, dragged out of position, and, and of course it's a, it's a it's a painful place to be. Um, mm. Certainly, where Liverpool were at that stage, I think um, um, obviously sort of the, the the forwards have gone in different sort of. Um, periods of form this season and now now we look at Salah and Salah's in, in a relatively sort of dry um, patch for himself whereas uh, yeah, Mane's stepped forward but on that day yeah, he, was, yeah, he, was, he, he was particularly ruthless um, mm. I'm, I'm interested in what you were talking about beforehand in terms of you know in, in these big games Solskjaer did appear to have a formula you know that that um, more conservative approach where he, he'd sit and then look to counter and, ha- and ha- had great success in some of these bigger encounters actually it was some of the other games where United mm. had issues under Solskjaer more often than not. But in these bigger games, he actually, actually pulled off a number of really good results. Um, from from what you were saying to me there, you could sort of get away with still maintaining that approach until you sign Cristiano Ronaldo. Like, e- e- even the other signings you mentioned with Sancho, with Varane, those are statement signings. I think people do expect more. But it, it, I, I'm interested in hearing your opinion, because we, we, we probably should speak about him as well, just um, uh, as as we're on that section. Just how unsettling a signing has that been, um, and sort of where do you sit on it at the moment? Because obviously there have been you know, there have been good moments for him, probably individually, um, that have sort of led to you know great late comebacks or sort of great moments to watch as a United fan. But um, mm. where do you currently sit on that signing, and 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 was that probably just just one step too far for Solskjaer to sort of um, deal with, really? Yeah, um, I think I think. It felt at the time, although although there was a lot of sort of emotion around it, and you you know you love to see you kind of most beloved players come mm-hmm. back to your club later in their careers. It felt like a 
a mistake in terms of in terms of team building and the structure of the team. It felt like a move which was going to put an awful lot more pressure on Solskjaer. Um, and it felt like one which which meant that I mean, if you think he he United had opened the season up with uh, Mason Greenwood up front and um, sort of blown blown leads away. Now Solskjaer's United regularly blew leads away, but but the the nature of the performance with um, a really mobile forward like Greenwood was was really promising. But as soon as you, as soon as you got Ronaldo in, and I know a lot of the um, a lot of the analysis looks at the games where he excels, such as at the weekend. But for every game that he's he's really, you know, really um, taken hold of it and, and dragged United through, there have been three or four where he's done next to nothing. Um, and part of the issue is that he doesn't hold the ball up. Um, he's not particularly good linking play. He can't press. Um, and everything has to kind of revolve around around where he is and if he's not doing his job then nothing works um and i think that's 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 been a a significant problem and and it has meant that united just had to throw away that 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 counter-attacking style altogether push everyone further up the pitch because ronaldo simply couldn't couldn't play from deep and and be running 30 40 50 yards in every attack um to, to kind of get on the end of things and I think it just it just kind of tipped the balance. But I mean, if you, if you look at it, look at it as a whole from from now, this season was going to be a disaster regardless. I mean, if we'd started the season with Greenwood up front, then you know, come come whatever it was, January, late January, he he's arrested and and he's not there anyway. And we didn't have um, any sort of really alternative forward, given that Cavani basically decided he doesn't want to play football this year. Um, but that, again, that's that's all kind of epitomises the, the state that that United are in. That they they found themselves with two two forwards over the age of thirty four, um, and that you know one of one of which hasn't been available all season. And kind of the the young guy they started with up front um, ended up getting pushed right again, um, just to fit in Ronaldo, so that. We could have this feel-good factor and and sell some shirts, and that's that's really the way that that United have 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 operated for the last seven or eight years. It's really not mm. not thinking about the um, not th- thinking about the whole and and focusing on individuals. And so you have a team, and you've had a team for the last three years where good results are built on individual good, indivi- good individuals doing individual things. Um, whether it's Bruno or whether it's been Ronaldo this season or Rashford if, when he was in better form or whatever else, it's not about the, the strength of the collective. Um, and and then you know bringing Rangnick in when when they did, it felt like a good move at the time because I, and I do like him, but the reality is United don't remotely have the squad capable of playing mm. the football that he that he wants to play um, and. Yeah, I think I think Ronaldo just exposed the the ridiculousness of the whole um, the whole approach to, to squad building that's been the case for seven or eight years, and uh, you ultimately you end up with a squad which has essentially been built by a club who's director of football for the last seven years was a banker, 
I mean, that's just, that, 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 that sums it up, really. You, you know, it looks like a squad that's been that's been assembled by a banker, um, and it looks like managerial choices that have been made by a banker. Um, yeah. And that's you know, Ronaldo, I suppose, absolutely epitomises that. It was it, it was a name. There was no thought about how he was going to fit into the the structure as a whole, what it would mean for other players. Um, and you know, as we say, we've had these these moments, and to a degree, you could say United are where they are because of of sort of performances that Ronaldo's put in individual games in the last two or three months. But there have there were so many games, there've been so many games where he's been absolutely hopeless, um, and and as a result, the team just doesn't function. And what you've had all season is a team, I would say, on performance. Um, I don't think there's been one genuinely good performance since the opening day um, and every game just comes down to can can those individuals score more goals than we let in at the other end um, and that's that, that ultimately you know, Randwick's been unable to change that because he just doesn't have the personnel to do it um, Yeah I mean just before we get on to Randwick I think it's yeah it's, 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 it's obviously important that we talk about him and sort of the, the nature of his position as sort of interim manager um, his, his his very pronounced sort of um, thoughts about how how a team should play his time away from the game in terms of, sort of actually being involved directly in coaching things like that. But in, in terms of Solskjaer's um, sort of the, the end of his time at United, I remember speaking to you um, and and plenty of other United fans as well who you know, who, who held a great deal of affection towards Solskjaer for a lot of the work, and there was a lot of work that he did whilst he was at the club. You can talk about sort of whether or not you thought there were actually any. The, the team was necessarily heading anywhere in terms of a long-term evolution or things like that, but in terms of some of the work that he did, um, in, integrating certain other players, um, I, I loathe to say the phrase steady the ship at times, but yeah, that, you know, sort of, there were moments where it, it seemed as though things were functioning pretty well for him, despite that mm. you could always tell he was going to come up a, a little bit short against some of the elite managers in the league. Following a defeat like that, 5-0 at home to, to Liverpool, it, 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 it felt seismic in terms of not only the, the result, the performance, you've, talk, you've spoken about that, but the fact that it was Liverpool at home. Um, and so I, I must admit, I, I was very surprised that, that, that he, um, he lasted after that. Um, and you might think that, yeah, maybe it was a, would have been a very reactionary thing to do and sort of cruel thing to do to dismiss him after that. In the end, he lasts, I, I think, I think it's what, three, four, maybe five games um, further than that and is obviously yeah. sort of um, uh, sacked following that defeat uh, to to Watford. Um, mm. uh, just your thoughts on sort of the, the sacking of Solskjaer in the end, the fact that it didn't come after sort of what felt like a pretty seismic result in that, and that he was he was allowed to sort of drift on a little bit further before you know, Watford really did feel like it was, um, you yeah, know, just there was there was just nothing to redeem at that point. But um, yeah, no. I would I would just love your thoughts and and sort of the thoughts of those you've been speaking to you know, amongst United fans as to sort of yeah. how, how he was allowed to sort of drift on a, li- a little bit, and, it, and it, it it did feel almost cruel at the end, sort of the way in which it was um it was handled, even yeah. the the interview he gave and things like that. So yeah. Your thoughts on Solskjaer's end, basically? I think in 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 terms of in terms of winning matches and results, at the time I felt that it had been left too long. Um, but with hindsight, I don't think it would have mattered when it happened because the the fundamental flaws in mm. in in the team and in in the morale in the dressing room were already there. there it was already they were already terminal, 
um, for the season. I think that the wider point is, as you say, the fact that you know that he, you know he really did love the club, and every result hurt him personally, and and the way things were going hurt was was hurting him personally, and to a degree, it was cruel to leave him like that, feeling responsible for for the mess that the the team was in. Um, so, I mean, I mean, to, we then had the defeat at home to City, which was only was only two nil, but frankly, could have been worse than the Liverpool game if City had really been ruthless in that match. Um, and and I think after the Watford defeat, they had they they had to they had to pull the trigger, but they were completely unprepared for it because that's what United do. Um, you know, I think three or four weeks before he'd only you know he'd only signed a, a new contract relatively. Um, soon before before that Liverpool defeat, an unnecessary contract. He didn't need to have been given a new contract then. There was absolutely no danger of Oli Solskjaer going, no, I'm I'm letting his contract run down, and then going, no, I'm not going to continue here if if he was wanted. So it was just complete a completely pointless new contract, and and yeah, it just it it just dragged him through the mud. I think you know he was a guy who I think you were talking about what he'd achieved at United, and ultimately while. It was all fundamentally flawed. While I don't think he was qualified as a coach um, to to really take on this, this this the club and the group of players, he did ultimately finish third and second in his two full seasons with squads that weren't the third and the second best squads in the league that season. Um, so he, there were he did outperform really the the quality in the squad for those two years um but it was just it was just fundamentally flawed and once all those things sort of turned against him it was it was really cruel just to drag it on for so long but it was the case that they were doing that because they had no plan um i mean ultimately it made sense to sack him at the start of an international window that at least gave them two weeks to try and get some ducks in a row but as it was you could tell they were just winging it um and so it still took, I think, the best part of nearly two weeks for, for United to actually appoint anybody. Um, so it, it was just a cruel way to go. You know, you look back at a manager, a manager like Mourinho who'd gone before that. And frankly, I, I couldn't give a toss about his feelings. He didn't care about anything else apart from himself. Um, but Solskjaer, you know, you, you can understand that, it's, it, you know, it's like Steven Gerrard seeing Liverpool dragged through the mud on his on his watch and hmm. um, being sort of just left there to to, to take it, it would, you know, he just just been equally cruel, wouldn't it? Um, so yeah, it wasn't it wasn't a good time for him. Um, and, but it, again, it's just it's just indicative of of the, the the state that United have been in for for nearly a decade, and also the, just the way they operate, which is always, without exception, reactionary rather than. Um, rather than proactive. Mm. And so in terms of sort of reactions then, and you mentioned it, it took almost a fortnight, then Ralph Ragnick is appointed as sort of an interim manager and there's lo- lots of discussion in the early stages around um, sort of the the breadth of his role, the fact that he's going to be sort of a, you know, here in sort of the managerial capacity for a certain um, period of time to the end of the season, but then we'll also have the option, I think it was, to stay on as a consultant and be involved with off-pitch matters and maybe some of the more... Um, 
some of those more, um, or some of those factors rather that have been missing at United for so many years, right, in terms of sort of a f- football infrastructure perspective, the, the, the areas in which Randnick had actually been mo- most successful in sort of the recent years of his career, um, loads was made of that. And it, it's sort of interesting sort of seeing where we are now because the impression I get actually right now um, ahead of the um, the Liverpool game is it, he doesn't appear to be speaking uh, as a figure who seems as though he's going to be involved in the long-term sort of runnings and machinations of the club moving forward. But yeah, it'd be, be good to get your opinion on that as well. But at the time, as you mentioned, whoever came in, they were going to have to deal with a, a squad that had serious shortcomings. Uh, whoever came in, I'm sure, would, would bring their own particular style of football, unless they were the ultimate pragmatists. Um, and I know people were throwing around the, the, the name Antonio Conte plenty of times as well, um, prior to him being sort of appointed as um, Tottenham manager and he's yeah he's known for being somewhat more pragmatic when he needs to be and, and, and has dealt with some of those situations but whoever came in was going to have to deal with a lot of compromising uh, what did you make of the appointment when you first heard about it and um a little bit around sort of the the supposed breadth of his role and yeah it'd be interesting to to hear your your perspective on sort of where you think that stands at the moment yeah i mean in terms of the appointment i was i was relatively pleased with it i'm you know i'm a, I'm a a fan of of Rangnick's Rangnick's work, and um, it was really the first the first coach beyond El, uh, Lou Van Gaal that we'd had at United that really had a definitive sort of coaching philosophy that <clears throat> that we could actually you know that might give the team some degree of identity. Um, I think with with hindsight, he he was it doesn't matter who'd come in; they were all doomed. Um, from that moment, I'd no, I absolutely no um, issue with United bringing in an interim manager. There was a lot of pressure at the time to just go for Conti or whoever and and bring that manager in, and that's something that um, United may have done um, in the past. That they've quite often gone for the available guy who's free, even if um, they aren't necessarily a smart pick for the for the squad or for the for the role at that particular time. Um, so that you know that's been the case with Moyes and, and with Van Gaal and with um, Mourinho. So I think the idea of actually waiting and getting the right coach in in the summer wasn't a bad one. And, and I think with hindsight, the season was already already a bust. But then whatever intentions rang it had once he came in were pretty much um, moot when when I think the scale of what he was dealing with um, became apparent. He he tried to instigate a pressing system which um they achieved for about half an hour against Crystal Palace at home in his first match before he realized they just the, the squad wasn't physically capable of doing it you didn't have you can't have Bruno Fernandes and Paul Pogba and Cristiano Ronaldo in a team that tries to press because two of them can't do it and the other one is just a tactical disaster and it will press everywhere rather than the area where he's supposed to um, and so it's just really been a case of, of pragmatism since then. But if you then think that almost immediately Randnick lost Greenwood um, to his arrest and um, Cavani's never been fit, Varane's been fit half the time. Um, and, and and it became apparent that, that a large portion of the squad was so angry and so disenchanted he'd actually have to weaken the squad in January. So letting Donny van der Beek and anti Martial particularly go on loan almost immediately. You know, Martial had played a key role in the winning goal against West Ham in, uh, at Old Trafford the, 
the previous week and then he as a substitute as well and, and then he was immediately allowed to go on loan to Sevilla because he just had enough and the same same with Donny van der Beek and, and a couple of others so he he was you know Randnick taking over then was the biggest hospital pass in in the history of Premier League football I think he had yeah. it was just a it was just a bomb site, an absolute bomb site. Um, and he didn't—he he didn't mince his words either, did he? I—I—I I, I think that's been one of the things I've, um, yeah, uh, wouldn't say enjoyed, but I, I mean, it's—it's—it's—it's it's, it's enjoyable to see a manager who's—who's—who's who's, who's not going to try and sh- sugarcoat the situation. I'm sure it must be that way for you guys, sort of, sort of being aware of what's been going on. But when there were those issues in the dressing room, like you mentioned, he seemed pretty straightforward, but just coming out and telling it how it was, or was that wrong? Yeah. No, I really like that. I mean, like, that's that's one of the things I've liked most about Ranić. He, he, he can t- he's very he's very German in that he's very um, he's very direct. Yeah. Um, you know, there's not there's not a great deal of emotional analysis to it. It's it's this is the this is the state of play. This is it, and this is what we've got to try and do to to put it right. And I and I like that because we've had we'd had Solskjaer who in public would would always talk as if everything was perfect. Um, which was really his approach from from the very beginning. It was just to to say everything's rosy in public and and then let loose in private if you needed to. You had you had Mourinho for whom literally everything that came out of his mouth was some sort of divisive um, divisive Machiavellian plan. Um, and it's just been really nice to see a, a coach come in and just say, look, look, these are the problems. This this is these are the problems we've got. This is why this isn't working. This is what we're trying to do. Um, and I think he's he's been more free to do that because he's been a an interim as well. So there's no there's no long term imperative on him to particularly keep players on side um, in any sort of you know long term long term sense in, in in terms of relationships. And so he's just been able to come in and say this is what's wrong. And and you that's that's kind of indicative of the the, the kind of guy he is. I mean, ultimately he's a he's been a a, te- a technical director or, or a director of football for much of the last decade, and so you can see he's looking at the squad and thinking, "This is what this squad needs. This is what it's lacking. This is what you'd need to do to make it better." As you were suggesting earlier, the question is, how much influence will he actually have on that in this consultancy role? I suspect that the way he's talked about it, he's basically been saying, "I'm not. I'm not going to talk about that because." Um, I've got an immediate job now and um, we've got to focus on that. And I think that's absolutely fair enough. Um, but I, I refuse to believe that he hasn't had some input in employing Eric Ten Hag because Pochettino has been, been the, the, the dream of United's executives for, um, you know, since he, before he left Spurs. And so for United to, to, to move away from him, I think there needed to be some kind of um, input from from outside outside the club. Um, and I think Rangnick's been able to come in with a f- completely fresh eye. There's no emotional um, there's no emotional link to United per se, and he's just been able to say, "This is what I think you need to do. This is who I think you need to do it." And f- for the first time, it looks like United are going to employ. A coach with a very definite style, but also one who's on the up rather than one who's hit the downslope um, several years before. So I'd be very surprised if if he has no 
input going forward. And United have started to build the beginnings of a of a recruitment structure um, with with the appointment of John Murtar um, as as director of football. And he's a guy who is kind of untested at this this level of the job. But he he was previously head of recruitment for the the women's team and the the academy as well. And, and did a really excellent job um, in both of those roles and, and actually formed relationships with an awful lot of clubs that, that, that he should be able to use going forward. The question is just how that, that new um, structure is going to work in practice, how much Eric Ten Hag will be involved in that and how much of this is a long-term plan. Are United now looking to uh, sort of play, play an Eric Ten Hag version of footballers there? As their ongoing, um, as their ongoing sort of stake up going forward, or is this just another? We're going to appoint this coach. We'll buy him players that fit his role, and if it goes wrong, we'll sack him and employ somebody else altogether with a completely different approach. So we really don't know how all of this is going to work out. But I do think, I do think for United to even think about the idea of Rangnick coming in to give them some advice shows a degree of insight that what you've been doing has been pretty disastrous and that they need to do something else to try and try and correct that. Um, so I have some, I have some degree of optimism though with this United, we all seem to manage to um, manage to sabotage everything at some, some point along yeah. the way. Um, I think the other, I think the other important thing is as well that, that, that now that Edward Ward's moved on, who was a guy who very much enjoyed the limelight. Really, you know, he was a big ego and he he enjoyed being involved in all of this stuff. Whereas never heard of him actually. Ne- never heard of that. <laughs> it was, it was, no, no. Whereas whereas the impression that I get of, of Richard Arnold, who's taken over, is very much very different. In that I don't yeah. think he's that interested in football. I think he 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 recognises that his um, his role is, or his skills are commercial, and that's why he's wanting to delegate football decisions to to, to football people. Um, and so I'm hoping that there's a bit more um, of an acceptance that that you, that you need that expertise. But it's taken ten years to even begin to recruit some degree of footballing ex- expertise in the recruitment department, which you know has done untold damage in the meantime. Yeah, and no, that's pretty staggering considering sort of the sort of size of the club and sort of the the legacy that was obviously being followed on from. Um, I think yeah, throughout everything you've been saying throughout the pod, actually, it's I was trying to think of some of the parallels between where Liverpool were sort of um, on their journey to you know, appointing Klopp, getting the football infra- football footballing infrastructure just right as well. And I think it's yeah, I think where. Where we are now, I think yeah, coherence is probably the the best word for it in terms of, as you mentioned there, people in, in their jobs doing the jobs that they are hired to do. So working in tandem, people not conspiring to sort of you know, undercut somebody from another room. Obviously, we went through it all with Rogers and um, you know the the, yeah. fact, the fact that Liverpool had a transfer committee, uh, which was nothing radical whatsoever, but seemed to be in the papers every single week for a number of years. <laughs> Uh, yeah. And um, th- there was some very clear disagreements between him and the transfer committee on who who we should sign. And at the worst stage of that, I think you, you know you saw 
you saw players being signed that were so so far away from the you know, proposed style that Rogers apparently wanted to play with us. So, for example, I'm thinking of Ricky Lambert, Balotelli. Um, you know, thinking of um, uh, Christian Benteke coming in um, as a, almost a, allegedly a condition of signing Roberto Firmino. Um, yeah. who then got barely played at all <laughs> and was often put on the right wing. Um, all these signs of dysfunction. And then, yeah, I, th- I think um, when Klopp was appointed, before there was anything won, before there was any any sort of glorious evening or anything like that, I, I, I do have to admit the, the overriding feeling from me was just relief that it seemed like, well, at least everybody will just do their jobs and um, there's no one going to be fighting or squabbling about something just... Yeah, yeah. Good, you know that's just just a very basic thing, and, and, and at that stage, it obviously took a took a while for things to fall into place. But it, yeah, it just felt good that there was um, that 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 element had been removed. So I can imagine, yeah, the, the the lightning rod of Ed Woodward, other figures as well, even even some of the players as well. I was struck by a quote that Rangnick apparently said um, in the press conference ahead of today's game, ahead of tomorrow's game, rather, where it's. Uh, speaking about Liverpool, and he's saying it's no coincidence. What's uh, almost talking to your point actually of just being a very cold diagnosis? It's, 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 it's no coincidence what has happened. They brought in the right players and got rid of the right players, and that's where that is where that's why they are where they are. Uh, and, it, sounds simple, it sounds simple, doesn't it? But yeah. I mean, you know, it's, it's really hard. But I think it's very hard. Yeah. The point, the key, I think the key point from what you were saying about where Liverpool used to be was that FSG came in, and I think they made some mistakes yeah, initially. They did. But they learned relatively quickly. They learned from those mistakes and made the changes that 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 have led to the led to the success you've got now. Whereas United, I think you know, there was too much ego at United to actually recognise that they were making mistakes right. and they didn't know best. Um, and I think that's been that that was a huge part of it. People talk about money and the Glazers and and the, you know the, the amount of money that siphons out that goes out of United. And, and all of those things are very important arguments against their ownership. But the reason United are where they are now, despite the fact they have actually spent an absolute fortune in the last in the last seven or eight years, is is because the the expertise was never put in place to 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 actually spend that money, um, you know, well. And and I think while Woodward was there, there was never going to be that moment of realization that, that that what was the way things were at that time was wrong and i i don't i honestly don't think he'd even say he was he he'd done, he'd done badly now if i'm honest um no. whereas there but there does seem to have been some some realization somewhere um possibly with with him moving on i think the i think the super league thing was a big blow to his ego as well um and his reputation in general, and 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 I think there was a bit of a sea change at United at that point that 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 we've really screwed up here, and we need to do something to change all of this around and try and rescue things. Um, but you know, whether that works or not is anybody's anybody's guess. I guess the proof will be in the pudding this summer. Yeah, and it's it's a sort of challenge. I mean, I feel like with everything that we've discussed, I mean, there's there's hope that in some of those um, sort of um, positions above the manager that things are are now in their right place and will start to improve in terms of having football people in the correct places and uh, a longer term vision for the style of football the the type of club that they want to rebuild at united um but eric ten Hag, as as the coach coming in as you mentioned a very very particular way of playing 
a very particular setup that he's been um, building within, um, as has often been the case at Ajax. Um, so their their setup and the way in which different coaches have come in succeeded very well, maybe gone on and, and, and not succeed, succeeded outside of that particular setup. Um, but you know, everything um, seems to seems to suggest that it's an incredibly well-run uh, club with probably that point about coherence, everybody on the same page really around sort of what what they would like the club to be, how they would like their teams to play. Um, and he, he certainly embodies that as well. And so you, you'd hope that you know, somebody like him, who seems like a sensible man, has only agreed to come in here um, if he's been given some certain particular insurances. And I think there is, yeah. um, it's, it's been publicised in terms of, sort of him having the uh, final decision on transfers, of course, which will probably give him you know, the control to shape and build the squad that he wants to build. But as you said, if things don't immediately go um, go right, will will he be given the appropriate time? You, you'd like to think that he would be. Um, obviously, I'd like to think that he won't be. But it's, uh, but I think that um, if you're going to appoint a long term vision manager to build something, yeah, he, he very much fits that mold. Um, and as you mentioned, he's not a coach that has you know maybe his career is slightly on the wane at this point he is still on the up uh, yeah. I just wanted your uh, your thoughts on that appointment yeah he's a very particular character Aaron Ten Hag um, and were there any other names that you were still interested in around sort of United appointing um, as manager obviously Pochettino was floating around there despite sort of where where he currently is with PSG um, yeah just just your thoughts on the appointment of that particular manager and so sort of what you hope it suggests about um, yeah, the direction of the club I think um, when there was when Solskjaer initially gone and, and Conte was free, I was I was quite strongly against Conte, not because he's a great manager, but because I think all we've been yearning for at United now is some kind of um, some sort of strategic vision going forward, rather than just appointing a manager who might be able to get a bit more out of the group of players you've already got. And so, from that perspective, I was always quite keen on on Ten Hag coming in, even over Pochettino, because whilst I think Pochettino's got that. Um, that knowledge of the of the Premier League, and he's all I think more of a personality um, than than Ten Hag is. Um, I don't think I don't think he would have provided such a, a sort of definitive strategic vision on the on the pitch of the, going forward. And I don't think it's a coincidence that that, that Ten Hag's been appointed now because he's very much a guy who's had to work with with young players at. Ajax and, and United have got a, an inordinately um, strong group of academy players from, from really sort of 17 to 19. That's the strongest group I can remember in, in 30 years. Um, and they're, they've got through to the Youth Cup final and there are, there are probably seven or eight players at the club in that sort of age bracket that I think have got a chance individually to that could be good enough to to make some degree of first team impact in the in the next few years. And whilst I'm, I'm realistic that probably the, the likelihood is that the majority of them won't, um, we've got a manager in who is actually is more suited to realizing that that talent. You know, if United can't spend money properly, then. Um, then they need to make the most of the of the academy they've got, and if the, 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 pretty much the only thing that's functioned at a high level in the last few years is is the academy and recruitment. 
um, recruitment there, and and that was largely as a result of of John Murtagh, and to lesser a lesser degree Nicky Butt. So um, that both kind of gives me some hope that that Murtagh will will be equally as effective as recruit, recruitment at a senior level, but also that even if we say sign four or five players this summer, that, that there's that there is other talent there that's coming through the academy that's that's um, possibly some of the, a couple are out on loan now at the moment. Guys like Garner and Ethan Laird of Bournemouth, and who, who I think have got a chance um, at, at senior level. The, the, the one benefit United, one good thing that United have, um, and, and, and Eric Ten Hag has when he comes through, is, is the strength of the academy at the moment. And if the um, it, you know things in the, in the transfer market don't go quite as we hope they do, he's got something to fall back on and. You know, fans love to see academy products come through, and I think they've also got a lot more patience with the manager that um, that gives them a chance. And they've also got more patience with them as players. Um, and I think one of the things that, that that that's happened at United in recent years is the the degree of the pressure that's that's on this been on the senior players has really dragged them dragged them down. Yeah, you know, like here Langer now in the first team, who I don't think has been impacted by that pressure in the same way that a lot of the first team players have because it's not directed at him. Everyone's everyone's still supportive of him, even if they're they're very down on on quite a lot of the other members of the team. So um I, I think that does provide a route both for Ten Hag to to sort of strengthen his strengthen his hand going forward and also in, t- in terms of giving us fans a bit more patience with what he's what he's trying to do. No, I think so. I, th- I think you mentioned there some of the senior players and um, sort of anger directed at some of those this season. It feels like it was just another ingredient that was added into sort of a situation that was already pretty difficult, as you mentioned, players who were disillusioned in the dressing room because they weren't getting the playing time that they'd maybe, maybe been promised by the previous coach or hoped for. Um, other players not not equipped at playing a particular style, for example, players who maybe wanted away for a while and didn't get their move. I think, I think there's a combination of those. There's been a suggestion of cliques and things at times as well. And, and, and a couple of players who I wanted to, to just, just to zero in on a second was, first of all, Marcus Rashford. Um, and just um, obviously he had that time out of the team, recovering from his injury. Um, and then his reintegration into the team. Um, he, he's an interesting one to me as... I think he's a really good example of one of, the, one of these young players who came into the first team um, around some very particular set of circumstances, clearly has a lot of talent, but to me is a very good example of a player who has been through a number of different coaches um, and hasn't had any sort of consistency in his in his development over the past um, number of years. But just, I'd be interested in sort of your, your opinion on whether whether or not it's whether or not it's too late for him in terms of too late at United or or whether you think yeah. that um, Eric Ten Hag will, will sort of be able to give him some consistency that he's been sort of um, really sort of, I think, um, desperate for. And the other player is is Harry Maguire, like you mentioned, who you know, yeah. excels in a very particular set of circumstances and has been asked to do um, stuff that I don't think he's that, that comfortable with at all this season. Uh, also looks to have sort of suffered psychologically from the impact of Ronaldo's arrival um, and sort of uh, the 
the size of that figure in in the dressing room as well. Um, very used to seeing a centre back being dragged out wide and struggling because I watched Dejan Lovren for many years um, as as we as we moved to a more uh, expensive system under Klopp. So. I am aware um, of of what it looked like yeah, yeah. and sort of the frustration <laughs> that can be directed yeah, at those yeah. kind of players. But yeah, I think those are two that I, fi- I find really curious at the moment. I think that they're both they're both at different points of the what I kind of like to call the cycle of the cycle of the life of a player at United, which right, is okay. is usually they come in they offer a lot they offer a lot of promise. Um, Recruitment as a whole isn't good enough, so results can't possibly meet expectation. And essentially, over over a significant period of time, they get they just get dragged under by the by the degree of pressure and and the fact that the the, the, the team can never get the results that people are expecting of it. Um, I think Rashford's Rashford's is even more complex in that, um, you know, he was United's best player before the first eighteen months or so under under um Solskjaer but but he because Solskjaer was always under enormous pressure um and was always was never in a in a, a good enough run of form that he could afford to to rest Rashford or to, to to allow him some time out we got to the situation where United basically played Rashford for months with with a, a double spine fracture which seems pretty incredible now but but that's that that happened um and and then later with a with a, a quite a, a serious shoulder injury that he just carried for however long i think on top of on top of those issues when he when he finally did have to stop and have have those operations and and rest or whatever else i think that was that was kind of the time when he started you know doing his kind of social um social work so to speak and and focusing on things like the school meals and everything else. And I also think that he's a guy who has been deeply affected by the reaction to um, the things he was doing on social media in particular. Um, And, you know, social media, particularly things like Twitter at the the best of times is, is, is a bit of a cesspit. And I, I think he's quite, he is, he is, basically a really nice kid a really nice guy and the amount of the amount of hatred and abuse he he was exposed to on social media when he was simply trying to do something good um i think that was possibly something that he's actually struggled to deal with um and then there was the 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 racial abuse that he and, and a couple of others got after the euros as well yeah um and I think just a lot of things have come together too. And obviously he was still injured at that point, so he wasn't fit to sort of start the season. Um, and I think a lot, all of those things have come together to really impact his his confidence and his happiness, um, other than just the fact that United drags players under. Um, and I think he's been in such a low, a low place that you know whenever he's been he's come on and he's been asked to do a role or he's he's started a few games under Rangnick he's just he's just been anonymous he's he's not even been doing the basics running running down blind alleys and hiding from and make just making terrible decisions on the ball and you can see he's just completely and utterly shot and so I think Rangnick has tried to I mean he couldn't pick him just on a 
performance basis, but I also think he's tried to kind of take keep him out of the firing line a bit. Um, but United are at a crossroads with an awful lot of players because um, we've got six contracts that are up this summer. Um, and I think you're probably going to see, including um, sort of more peripheral players, you're probably going to see 14 or 15 players leave this summer, which seems incredible. But I think it's it's the case, and I don't think it's something United can get away from. And then you've got a, a, a core as well of guys like Shaw and Rashford and Fred as well, who uh, their, their contracts are up in 2023. And both they and United need to make a decision on what, um, what where they're going to go from from here. And on performance, you can't really um, say that they they deserve new contracts now. But can United also afford to write them off and and move them on when there's going to be such an enormous amount of flux in 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 the squad this summer anyway? So I think Ericsson Hag is going to have to 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 try and revitalise. Rashford and I, I think it's the case that if if Ten Hag can get United actually playing some decent football and winning some matches I think an awful lot can change for an awful lot of players I, I think the, the, the weight of that um, that lack of confidence is is enormous and I think as fans sometimes we 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 underestimate the 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 the, the drag that that confidence can bring on a, on a team I mean as you saw with with Liverpool Last year, even with the injuries, you know, once that confidence hits, players that have been doing great things just instinctively mm-hmm. for, you know, a couple of years suddenly are are, are overthinking the basics. Exactly. Um, yeah. If a manager like Klopp as well can't can't help you overcome that in the short term, you know, it's yeah. You, you yeah. Think well, I mean, it. his his Dortmund team in his final season had the mm. Ips as well, didn't they? You know, they were getting into sort of the final three three or four months of the season. They were they were the bottom three in in the Bundesliga, which is incredible for a side that you know been in the European final and and had won the title. Um, and and that just shows you the degree to which which confidence can drag players down. But by, by the same token, if a manager can restore those those confidence levels, then a lot can change in a positive sense as well. Um, I think part of perhaps Eric Ten Hag's biggest initial job will be to take the the players that are left um in the in sort of in the first team squad and actually rebuild them mentally because because I think they are just all utterly broken um and if you can do that I mean I I can see Rashford being a really important player again I think he's a player that will fit well or non-form Rashford fits well into into a, a a Ten Hag system he loves his inverted wide players um, and Rashford showed under Solskjaer that he he can very much do that role and be very productive when he's in form. Um, so I think the next twelve months will be will be really significant for him and for a few others if if Ten Hag feels he can um, kind of restore them to their their past um, best. Then there's definitely a place for them. I think at the end of twelve months, if he if he can't, then I I can't really see any point in him retaining players like Rashford and, and from the players perspective as well so many players at United are so are utterly miserable I mean you can see they're all mis- absolutely miserable at playing football um for for United and it's not United per se it's just the fact that the whole the whole place situation is yeah 
the situation just drags players under and you get to the point and, and ultimately you, the fans become incredibly frustrated as well and get on the players' backs. And you're seeing that with guys like, like Maguire and Pogba and Rashford to a degree um, and a few others as well. And, you know, once that happens, how do you... It must be incredibly hard as a player to to, to have to face going out and trying to perform in, in that environment where, you know, this weekend United fans were singing you're not fit to wear the shirt for about 10 minutes and, and booing their own substitutes wow. or booing, booing the players going off. I think that's the point. That's where it's it's got to with a lot of the players. And you, you, you can see that a lot of them literally are hating stepping on a football pitch for United. And you've got someone like Anthony Martial, who was incredible promise, but he's five years into that into that cycle now. And he's, he's at the point where he literally doesn't want to step on the pitch for United. He just had to get away. Um, and I think that there will be quite a few others who who also fit that. Um, so all I can say is that Eric Ten Hag has got one yeah. job. The only the only plus for him is that the reality is that he an enormous number of players are going to move on this summer. Um, some of them are out of United's control, and others they're so absolutely intent on getting away that that it would be absolute suicide to keep them. Um, yeah, no, no. So he is going to have quite high degree, well, an, an unprecedented degree of churn, I think, really, in terms of players out this summer. Um, and there should be a lot of space on the wage bill for him to, to bring in players that, that, that better suit his 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 preferred style and also who aren't infected by by the abject misery that is, that is United at the moment. Yeah, I mean, if, if, if I was a bad person, I would really sort of like... <laughs> Pull the pull the salt on at this point or whatever, but um, no, it it it's it, 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 it seemed like a situation where, uh, as you said, just every everybody involved from the fans to the coaches um, to the players certainly um, just thoroughly unhappy, just burnt out, thoroughly unhappy. You know, self at the moment. I mean, that, that yeah. is where that is what it is. The players, the fans, the everyone except probably the Glazers. Everyone at United hates hates themselves and hates everything to do with United. Yeah. It's really sad to say, but it is just it is what it is. Um, I suppose and you just have to think. So no. I was going to say, you just have to you just have to think that it's the cycle of football, isn't it? Yeah, it's no, the it cycle is. of football. We we had twenty five years of ridiculous, unprecedented success. So this is just this is just the cycle of football bringing us back down to earth again. So. No, of course, and it, it, again, just feels feels churlish to, to almost sort of um, end it on these points. But around the the remaining games of the season, obviously United currently in fifth place. Uh, no one seems to want top four um, at, at the moment. Both both Tottenham and Arsenal doing their best to uh, throw away any leverage they had on 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 that position. Um, uh, Fifty four points, United, so three three behind. Spurs on the same number of games played at the moment. Um, and just looking at the fixtures around Liverpool, so you get Liverpool next, Arsenal, uh, Chelsea, uh, Brentford, Brighton, and uh, Palace to end the season. Given where you you're suggesting the psyche is at the moment, it doesn't sound like it's in a great place to to, to necessarily grasp that um, that opportunity either. But um, yeah, just your thoughts on sort of what you're expecting, if anything, for the remainder of the season, but then also. Um, yeah, I mean, given all that, given the players that are missing as well, and the five first team players missing as well, or likely to be missing for the Liverpool game, I mean, how, how, how do you approach that if you're Ralph Ragnick? 
I think he's done what he does, which is say is it is. He's been asked questions about top four, and he said it's just it's no point even talking about it because we're that bad. Essentially, you're paraphrasing. There's no point in talking about it because we're 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 that bad, particularly defensively. It's it's a, just a you know it's a, it's not going to happen. And I think he's absolutely right. To be honest, we've got. Um, I, I think again on performance, as we saw against Norwich at the weekend, on performance, overall performance, United are back to a point where I'd say they're probably in bottom six in terms of in terms of the, the actual coherence of the performances they're putting in, in terms of the defending, in terms of creativity. It, it's all, you know, arse end of the premiership stuff. He really is that bad. Um, and so I think he's he's looking at the next three against Liverpool and Arsenal away and Chelsea at home and thinking we'll be lucky if we get a point out of those. And I think he's probably right. And then, um, you know, Brentford at home's one. I mean, to be honest, absolutely everybody at the club wants the season to be over, and the next six games are just going to be some awful purgatory um, until we can all just stop thinking about it, and everyone can go on their holidays, and we can purge half the squad and, and try and move on. And I think the results are probably going to end up showing that that essentially they're all everyone's just wanting it to be over. Um, mm. And I think starting tomorrow night, I'd be very surprised. I wouldn't be remotely surprised if we saw something similar to the game at Old Trafford because we cannot defend um, and we can't keep the ball either, actually. And, and you're, I think Liverpool are almost certainly on form the best team in Europe by a reasonable distance at the moment. Um, and and you're, you're, just, you're incredibly um, efficient. I mean, that's, that's one, one of the things that... that that has been most notable about Liverpool. Just in, you've got incredibly efficient players, um, and you. I don't think you'd even need to be playing particularly well to give United a stuffing tomorrow. Um, I, you know, I, I hate to say, but it is what it is. Um, you've got one team that's, that's essentially going for a quadruple. That's that's really incredibly focused. In sort of, it's playing its best football, and you've got another one who really just doesn't want to be there and would quite happily have the season end tomorrow. And I think what you're going to see probably represents that. Right, well, I'm, I'm not sure, I'm not sure, sort of given this is going to a Liverpool, um, Liverpool audience, I'm not sure I, I could have recorded um, a, um, I'm, I'm sure, more uh, pleasurable podcast for them, I'm sure. But uh, it, 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 <laughs> it, 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 it certainly sounds as though the the situation, and I know this from having sort of a number of um Number of good friends who who've, who support United. Um, uh, that, yeah, it's it's currently it does feel as though the the worst of all possible situations. And as you mentioned, yeah, just just almost hoping to close close your eyes, wake up. It's the summer, and you can begin to rebuild. Football's about Schadenfreude, isn't it? You know, we, it we is. I'm, I'm trying very we hard. We <laughs> own good times if if we didn't have others' bad times to to crow about as well. That's that's just football, isn't it? So I'm talking about the the cycle of the cycle of football, you know, we got to to laugh at Liverpool for nearly thirty years, um, you know, and it's our turn. It's just our turn. That's where we are, and and I, I'm and I think I'm getting old and um, and a bit a bit pragmatic in my view to football. You know, I actually it seems sounds insane, but I do actually enjoy watching Liverpool play. And I can't, I can't, you know, I, I haven't enjoyed watching United for quite a long time. It's one of those things you do because they're your club and um and 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 you support them and you you do in in good or bad times but 
I've had to look elsewhere to actually see some decent football. And I and I enjoy I enjoy the Champions League when we're not in it um, because you know it's a, it's kind of a, a standard of football and and the, and the quality that you just don't don't see when you're watching United and Liverpool are a great team. I can remember. Um, having a, a brief Twitter conversation with you about Luis Diaz when yeah. when you signed him. And and Luis Diaz is he was absolutely fantastic at Porto. Really, really, really good. And it's just the kind of signing that Liverpool make that United don't thirty whatever it was, was it thirty five million yeah, for, or so, for yeah. a guy who was already playing at a world class level that that was the perfect Klopp player. He was he was already everything that Klopp needed in in, in a player in the forward. Um, and you know, I, I, you've just got a great manager doing doing things near perfectly. Um, it, it is what it is, and and you are an, in, an incredibly high level and impressive team to watch. So mm. I can't, uh, you know, I can't. Uh, United aren't, Liverpool are at the moment. I'm sure one day it'll be different. So I've just got to suck it up. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I, and I'm also not going to continue this any longer. I think that I think that's probably sort of the perfect place to. To wrap hmm. things up, um, uh, yeah, sort of, yeah, with those very magnanimous words around uh, around Liverpool at the moment, and yeah, I, I, I think for myself, it's just been about uh, constantly making sure I'm putting things into perspective, actually, and and enjoying this um, as much as I should be. I think because I think it's it might, yeah. it must be very easy to fall into the fact. I mean, for example, with the Champions League, like. Um, uh, qualification for the semi-finals. I know that, that there have been some draws that have been kind to us as well, but um, it the, the fact that that felt relatively routine is, uh, I think, yeah, it's probably just a, an indication of how well run and how how well everything's going at the moment. As is the fact that, yeah, this this quadruple everybody likes to go on about is still is still theoretically possible. But we'll see how that goes. But anyway, Rich, thank you so much for. Um, all the insight there on Man United. I hope it was somewhat cathartic um, because it, it, it sounds like everyone's yeah, been, I, been going through it. Yeah. No, no, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. And um, uh, yeah, but before we do wrap things up completely, I just wanted to, to tell all the listeners who've been who've been tuning in to, to Rival Recon this season. Uh, obviously, as the games get no less important, which is always a very useful thing when you're doing a show like this. Uh, there'll be a another podcast um, ahead of the the game against Everton, yeah, Merseyside Derby, who I'm sure you're all very much looking forward to uh, Liverpool adding to to Frank Lampard's misery um, if we can. Um, and then of course there'll be another one uh, ahead of the Newcastle game on the 30th of April as well. So do tune in then. But uh, in the meantime, uh, plenty to be excited about. Um, plenty uh, of games coming thick and fast. So do tune in to all the all the other great content on, on Anfield Index Pro. Otherwise, we'll speak to you after the United game. Uh, and ahead of that game against uh, our our neighbours in the Merseyside uh, on the weekend. So, yeah, see you all then. We hope you enjoyed listening to this Anfield Index show. Please be sure to subscribe to our channel so future podcasts find their way to your device automatically. There's nothing quite like fan engagement, and we'd love to know what you think of anything discussed on this show. The best way to get in touch is over on our free Discord community, where both podcasters and listeners debate the hottest LFC topics 24-7. Sign up free now at anfieldindex.com forward slash discord. You won't regret it. You can also follow us on Twitter at Anfield Index and find us on Facebook by searching for Anfield Index. Oh, and before you go, we'd love it if you could leave us a five-star review on your favourite podcast app. It only takes a couple of seconds and it means the world to the people who create these free shows. 
Social Podcast Network.